some of our listeners have probably have never heard of Kraken cards before. So can you take us kind of a step-by-step of how this scheme is committed? Introducing the Protectors. Inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI. Leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mike Carroll and International VP Mark Solomon. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll, International President of the IAFCI. Welcome to today's podcast. I am with Mark Solomon, International Vice President of the IAFCI. Mark, how are you doing today? Mike, I'm doing great, and we're swinging for the fences for this podcast. I'm really excited about our next guest today. Mark, you're in Connecticut. I'm here in Chicago, and our guest is from New York City. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. And I have the great honor of introducing him. So without further ado... He started his career with the NYPD 20 years ago, beginning in the 6th Precinct, and quickly moving to the Manhattan South Grand Larceny Task Force. He was promoted to detective, and it was assigned to the 13th Squad. He spent time on former Commissioner Ray Kelly's protective detail before returning to his investigative roots. In 2019, he was assigned to a federal cyber fraud task force with the U.S. Secret Service, where he focuses on significant financial fraud cases and oftentimes the connection between fraud and gangs. And I'll tell you, Mike, if you're a criminal committing fraud, financial crimes or cyber crimes, you don't want this guy on your case. Uh, We'd like to welcome to the show Detective First Grade and friend Dan Alessandrino. Hey, guys. How's everything? It's a pleasure to be on the show. Daniel, welcome. You know, we met uh, maybe three years ago at our international conference for the IFCI, and you had done a presentation uh, on financial fraud in the New York area related to uh, the slang word, we call it cracking cards, where somebody gives up their debit card and PIN number. And your presentation was outstanding. You know, I thought about what you, you spoke about back then, and I think it's still relevant today, and that's why we wanted to bring you on. But I do want to say, when we talk about cracking cards, it's kind of a slang word for somebody giving up their debit card and PIN number or somebody allowing the bad guy to put a check into their account. I think I was the one that came up with that because when I was a postal inspector, maybe about 10 years ago, uh, we arrested this guy and he had about 15 debit cards on him. And I'm like, what What are you doing with all these debit cards? He goes, well, people give them to me. They give me their debit card and PIN number and then I put checks in their account and I withdraw the funds, and I told them to make a report that their debit card and PIN number was stolen. And I go, I've never, you know, didn't really see a lot of that going on. He says, well, it's called cracking cards. That's what we call it. And uh, I wish I would have put a patent on that. I would have made some money. So your presentation three years ago, you talked about the same topic, debit card scam, giving up their debit card and PIN number and cracking cards. So I'm going to ask you, what have you seen relating to this type of scam in the New York City area over the last several years? Well, I remember I was first introduced to this scheme back probably about 18 years ago, um, before a lot of the technology was as it is today. And it was mostly men going out to nightclubs, meeting women, picking up a woman that night in the club, and convincing them the next day to go with them to the bank where they were using their accounts to drop checks. Then ATMs came around, which made it even easier for these individuals to commit this type of fraud because now there was no more um, personal interaction with a teller, with a human person. They were able to just go to a machine, deposit a check, 
into someone's account using someone's debit card and PIN number. And now with technology the way it is, you don't even have to go to an ATM. You could just snap a picture with your phone. But the key is that none of this could happen without them soliciting another individual to turn over their debit card, their PIN, their login to their bank accounts to actually commit this crime. So, uh, Dan, um, we talk about these criminal groups or, you know, organizations that are doing this. Who are they targeting? Who are they trying to get to open up these accounts and, and turn over the debit cards? Is there any particular group they're focusing on? They're focusing on the youth of, uh, of America right now. They're focusing on that age range between 19 and, and 24, say, that are just going into college or they're individuals that are hard on their luck. They haven't found a job yet. Um, and they're enticing them with the lavish lifestyle that they're living, the flashing of the cash, the fancy cars that they're renting, the fancy restaurants that you would see celebrities going to eat. And they're, and they're preying on these individuals to try to solicit them because of their vulnerabilities. The same thing goes, we do see um, older individuals that are suffering from financial hardship that sometimes get sucked into this as well. Uh, Dan, you're right. They're recruiting anybody it seems like mostly the young to either, like we were saying, either give up their debit card and PIN number or, you know, allow somebody to put a check in their account. So being recruited, do you see a lot of social media come into play as a tool to recruit individuals to participate in this scam? Oh, absolutely. Social media has become a game changer for uh, cracking cards because before social media was around, you were soliciting and and focusing on people in your neighborhood, your friends' friends and their friends to try to get these debit card accounts. Now with social media, it's reach out and touch someone. You You could span your selection of individuals across the country, even international if you want. And a good example of this during some of our investigations, we were able to identify that these subjects were recruiting individuals over social media and they were in different states. And the way it would work was they would have them overnight their debit cards to them here in New York. So they could use their debit cards to commit the fraud here in New York. And these individuals were in say Florida, California. It was insane. It opened up my eyes to a interesting world of how social media could play such a important role for these individuals to commit these crimes. True. And Dan, for our, some of our listeners who probably have never heard of cracking cards before, so can you take us kind of a step-by-step of how this scheme is committed? And then they're really taking advantage of the banks, right, with these checks being deposited and then withdrawing funds before they realize the checks are bad or stolen or counterfeit. But can you walk us through kind of the step-by-step of cracking cards? Absolutely. So basically what you have here is a is a plain scheme of check fraud. And the way these bad actors are starting this scheme is they need two things. They need a routing number and an account number to create checks. They need either checks that are stolen out of the mail that they could wash. And I I can go into how they do that. Um, But once they get their supply to either create checks based on people giving them routing numbers and account numbers, or by them stealing checks out of the mail and washing them to be able to write what they want onto the checks is one aspect. Second aspect is being able to have debit cards belonging to some of the major financial institutions. 
And the key to the debit card is you need that person's debit card and PIN. Because these bad actors don't want to use their own accounts. They want to use other people's accounts. So it gives them a layer of protection. And what they'll do is if I get someone's debit card and PIN number, I'll then go back to my source for being able to make a check. I'll create a check with the name of the person on the debit card. So the check name, payee, and the debit card match. And then I'll fill in an amount that I want to try to steal from the bank. And then we'll go to the bank, we'll deposit the check in the ATM using the person's debit card and PIN number. And the next thing is, is as soon as that money goes into that bank, the object is to take out as much as you can as quickly as possible before the check is either recalled because it's, it's identified as fraud, it's frozen because they could see that the, there was an inconsistency in something on the check. Um, going to today from, from back in the day to now, the key is that you're able to log on to your account via your mobile phone, through a computer. So not only are, you, are these individuals giving up their debit cards and their pins, they're giving on their passwords and their user IDs to actually access your bank accounts. Hmm. So these bad actors are now watching and they're able to say, they're able to tell when the check is deposited, when the check is cleared, how much is ready to be taken out. And it's putting us all at a disadvantage because they're already knowing before anything how much money they're going to get if they're able to get the money if, it, if something went wrong, which has given them an upper hand in, the, in this game. And Dan, they're taking advantage of that time period where the check's deposited and before the bank realizes that check is bad or counterfeit or insufficient funds. So they're, they're able to access that money and withdraw it before the bank uh, realizes the problem with the check. Yeah, that's, that's correct. I mean, you'll see this if um, most of your investigators out there that are watching social media, you'll see that they're trying to target people either with fresh accounts or older accounts. And that is because they know that a certain account would be, will allow them to get a certain amount of money cleared or available, I should say, not cleared, available right. to them before the check is cleared. So someone with more of an established account might have more money made available to the bad actors than someone with a brand new account. And, and they know this. And they are on top of the evolving methods that the bank are using to stop the fraudsters. And good examples are there was a exact change scam that a lot of these card crackers were using at one point where they knew some financial institutions had a floor. And what they would do is they would deposit a check, say, for $5.80. And instead of putting in the $5.80 when they were typing in how much the check was, they would just put $0.80. Cents. Mm-hmm. And they knew that as soon as the bank would catch on that the check was for more, it would add the check as a credit to the account. So it was automatically cleared and that money now is fully available. Wow. And these are these glitches that these individuals, these bad actors are picking up on. It's amazing. Um, I hate to say it coming from law enforcement, right? You tip your hat to some of them because of how creative their minds are, even though they're doing this for bad instead of for good. Well, Dan, okay, so you're saying that you know, these types of investigations, they got to they got to recruit somebody to give up their debit card or PIN number or allow somebody to put checks in their account. Now that the money's in the account, they got to get the money out. And I know in the past they've done um, debit card transactions, uh, ATM withdrawals. But recently, and I'm going to ask you too, if you're seeing it in the New York area, we've been seeing money be taken out to P2P payments like Zelle, Venmo, 
or even taking cash out of the account through ATM withdrawals, but then going to an ATM Bitcoin machine and putting it into a Bitcoin wallet and getting it over to the fraudsters. Is that what you're seeing, or is there any other way you're seeing that the uh, fraudsters or the bad guys are getting the money out of the account? Um, what we're seeing is your normal cash withdrawal. Um, and what we're seeing sometimes is when you hit your daily limit at that cash withdrawal, we're actually seeing them go to purchase postal money orders because money orders are considered cash, but they don't affect your daily limit. So they're learning that I could take out, say, $1,000. That's my daily limit. I take that out. I'll now go purchase several money orders, even, and then that's not affecting my daily limit. So now I'm able to even take more money out. Um, and then when that hits a, hits a plateau, they're using, like you said, the P2P, where they're transferring money out to a bunch of different people to get that money out, like we said, as quick as possible. Because that's the goal for them, is to capitalize on as much money as they could take out of the accounts before they're caught. You know, Dan, there, there's some people out there that say, hey, financial crimes, it's just money related. It's a nonviolent crime. But what I love in, from watching your presentations over the years is that there is a connection between violent crime, gang activity, and financial crimes. Can you explain a little bit to our listeners of what you've seen over the past 20 years as a police officer and detective? So I think the world is starting to finally see, and especially here in, in uh, the United States, that gangs are involved in financial frauds. Um, COVID, everyone being sheltered, large cases were um, large cases were developed and a large amount of people were arrested. And as you could see that there was articles, 12 gang members arrested for committing COVID fraud sort of bringing more of an attention that gangs were involved. And uh, one of the most amazing articles that I read, which kind of shocked me, was that in 2012, CNBC actually published an article talking about gangs and white-collar crimes. And they were talking about how gangs were expanding and becoming, you know, more violent, but they were also posing an increased risk to communities across the country. But they were able to fuel their violence they were able to fuel their drug trade and their guns because of white-collar crimes, because there was less of a risk of detection by committing these white-collar crimes than it was for dealing drugs and weapon trafficking, which was now increasing these gangs' revenues. Um, and it, it, like I said, it's interesting. CNBC was talking about it back in 2012, and it's just been growing and growing ever since. The amount of gang members that are being arrested or being identified committing white-collar crimes. And then, like you said, if they do get caught, you know, the chances of them getting caught are slimmer than if they're committing violent crimes. But if they do get caught, it seems like the punishment is not that severe. It's definitely a lighter prison sentence than the violent crimes. And, you know, with all these reforms that are going on, these sentences are even lighter now than they were a couple of years ago, which is emboldening our criminals to commit more white-collar crimes their risk to reward is yeah. much greater of a reward than it is the risk. Yeah, Daniel, to go along with what you said, I remember when I was at the inspector service and we wrestled to one of these main players, and he said, why steal a check out of the mail or wherever and it's made payable to John Smith and then go out and get a fraudulent ID to match the name, and then if I'm arrested, I could be charged with identity theft. Instead, I'll just get some knucklehead to put this check in their account. And I think that goes along with what you're saying. They even know that there's a less likely 
chance of them being arrested if they got somebody else doing all the fraudulent work, you know, by giving, you know, putting a check in their account and taking all the heat. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I, I definitely agree with that. You're more seasoned card cracker. You're, you're a bad actor. They're going to layer themselves from being that guy that's walking in the bank to either do the deposit or to pull out that money. They're laying themselves either once, twice, or even three times removed from that. And it might not, it might mean that they're not making as much money because you're paying all these different actors that you're working with, but it's also securing them from and insulating them from being arrested or identified in that conspiracy or in that, that act. Yeah. They know it's hard to track them down. If they're the ones making a deposit to the check at an ATM machine where they're wearing a mask, you know, COVID related, or it's a mobile deposit from a phone where you can't see who's making the deposit. So they know all about that too, trying to avoid uh, being caught. They're definitely um, taking advantage of the mask mandates. I can tell you that, um, with covering their, their faces and protecting uh, their identities when committing these uh, bank crimes. Hey Dan, you bring up a good point. You know, those involved, like gang members involved in uh, financial fraud and paper crimes, you got to be aware. You know, when you interview them or you pull them over on a on a stop vehicle stop, that these might be bad dudes. Even though they're doing paper crimes, they they be somebody you need to be aware of and take every precaution when you talk to these individuals. Absolutely. Your fraudster today depositing a check into the bank in the middle of the afternoon could be the same guy who is involved in a shooting later on that night, um, which could either kill somebody or could seriously injure somebody. And then they're back at the floor the next day. So when it comes to law enforcement interacting with these individuals, just because it is a paper crime and a nonviolent crime, it's still, you are dealing with sometimes a dangerous group of people, a group of individuals. So for law enforcement um, all throughout the country dealing with these forces, you have to always be on your toes when you're approaching a car on a car stop or when you're knocking at a door to do an interview. Your senses always have to be heightened because there could be someone in that car with a gun or behind that door with a gun. Um, just because you're interviewing them or you're investigating them for fraud doesn't mean that they're not involved in violent crimes. And Dan, can you talk a little bit about, we talked about social media being an influence, recruiting people. What about the music industry? I was shocked, you know, to see one of your presentations years ago and find out there are rap songs, there are music videos, there are little short movies uh, glorifying cracking cards and other financial crimes. And what does that say? You know, I mean, how how does that influence young kids that uh, are growing up and seeing these songs or hearing these songs and watching these videos? I think that scam rapping or fraud rapping is becoming more popular. During some of my presentations, I've spoken about how like Chief Keef has a lyric or a line in one of his songs that says, I've been counting them stacks, cracking cards, get back. I get me a big check and everything designer, but it's mismatched. There's a group of individuals that I dealt with called the Pop Out Boys. They're a New York, Brooklyn-based group. And one of their songs says, watch the money do backflips early morning up at Saks Fifth. You see, you want it, you have it. So I think a lot of these rappers or these scam rappers are monopolizing on the influence of their audience and knowing how popular 
fraud is becoming and the, the, the idea of fraud and the, the idea that the social media outlets like Instagram and Facebook are being used to promote how our scammers' lifestyles are, it becomes attractive to the average person that they're um, focusing on. And I always say this, right? PR. Businesses hire these PR people. They're, they focus on getting the best image out there to draw attention to their business, right? That's exactly what these scammers are doing. They are unbelievable PR people. <laughs> I mean, they're putting themselves out, eating at hard-to-get-into restaurants, flying on private jets, driving in two, $300,000 cars, like it's nothing. So they're able to sell this dream to you, this image to you. And a lot of, I believe, some of these, these rappers and this hip-hop are, are focusing on that. Um, I think there's a group called the G4 Boys that I think every song that they've put out recently is a song identified to some type of fraud. So they're just marketing crime. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I, think, I think what you were talking about when you were seeing one of my videos was there was a Meek Mills video. I can't think of the song, but the whole video is about scamming, right? They showed you how they make the fake IDs, how they cut the checks, how they create counterfeit cash, how they reproduce um, re-encoded cards. Um, and the whole song, the video, is about them traveling, creating this stuff, and living luxuriously off the lifestyle. Yeah, I remember the video. You know, you see the you see the checks, the cards, the guns, and the drugs all in this video, and it's glorifying this life. Uh, you know, trying to recruit young kids and to get involved in this. It's sad. Yeah, I think if you go on uh, YouTube and punch in keyword uh, "printing cards," you'll see some videos some rap videos relating to it. And what's sad about like this social media influencing and, the, and this hip hop culture that there's not just a small part of the hip hop culture that focuses on scamming is that it's pushing these kids to think that it's okay to do this stuff. And what they don't realize they're doing is that these younger kids that are doing that are now getting criminal records when they get caught. Right. And they're, they're taking themselves from having a chance of being something and going to school to now actually having a criminal record and being at a disadvantage. Dan, that was going to be my next question. You are absolutely right. Those that uh, give up their debit card and PIN number or allow somebody to put a check in their account, you know, sometimes they're a victim, sometimes they're a witness, sometimes they're a suspect. And like you said, they could be arrested. Not only that, but their credit is destroyed, right? Because eventually they're going to be responsible for the checks that are posited through their, through their account. They're the ones that are going to take the loss. They're the ones that are going to owe the bank the money. Is that correct? That is correct in some situations. I mean, um, a part of their sentencing could be restitution. And a lot of these stipulations with their restitution is, is that you can't open up new lines of credit. You can't take out a loan. You, you can't get a car. Like, you're crippling yourself going into this world as a young adult where you can't apply to get a, to lease a car. You can't apply to get a loan to, to, to start a business or anything because you're stuck now with this crippling, I have to pay back the restitution. And sometimes it's not even the restitution that you're fully involved. If it's a conspiracy, it could be a portion of what the conspiracy is. And sometimes those numbers are, are almost impossible for these younger kids to pay off. It really does put them at such a disadvantage. 
So, Dan, I want to switch gears just for a second here and, and talk something a little bit different uh, about the consumers that are listening to this show uh, today. Um, what are some of the safeguards that our listeners can be aware of when it comes to identity theft schemes? You know, um, what should they be doing to protect their identity, monitor their accounts? Can you give us some tips? So I could tell you what I do to protect myself. Um, it doesn't mean that what I'm doing is the thing that everybody should do because it works for everybody different. But I believe that you should minimize the bank cards, credit cards that you have. Stick with a couple. Um, set up uh, notification systems where you either get texts or emails when something happens with your bank card or your credit card and you get a notification. So you can be aware immediately if something's out of place. Like, oh, wait a second. I didn't do that withdrawal at the bank. Who took out that $500? Now you're immediately on top of it and you could try to stop from being more of a victim. I always tell people, if you've never been a victim of identity theft, you should go play the lotto because it's that widespread. Um, but put out your alerts. Put out alerts on your credit where you can go to one of these the, the three credit agencies and put an alert out on your credit score, on new lines of credit that someone might be inquiring on. So you're fully aware of what's going on with your financial profile, um, right? Technology is our best friend. We have this phone that's in our hands, in our pockets at all times. It is a great asset to allow us to be able to see and receive information almost in real time about what's going on in our financial accounts or what's going on with our credit and our credit report. I do also recommend to either not once a day or every other day, check your accounts. Go in there and see what your balance is, see your recent transactions, just to make sure that in case you didn't get that alert, you're on top of your stuff. It's, it's when you're not on top of your stuff and you just let things go and you're not paying attention that you make yourself the most vulnerable. There's always a chance that you're going to be a victim, but it's how bad of a victim you're going to be. So you need to protect yourself and you need to build almost like daily routines, routines into your lifestyle to help protect yourself. Um, corporations, right? Uh, there's different things that financial institutions offer you to help with being a victim of check fraud or either your account was compromised because someone stole your routing number and your account number or one of your checks were stolen from the mail. There's things like PosiPay or there's things that you could set up where anytime you write a check and the check gets deposited, the bank does not provide an actual approval for that check being cleared until you okay that that was the check that you wrote. I wish they had that on personal accounts, but I don't, as of my knowledge, I don't think they do at this time. In regards to using U.S. Postal, I'm not going to knock the U.S. Postal Office because I have some amazing people that work in Postal, and I think they do a great job, especially the Postal Inspection Service. But the Postal Inspection mailboxes and stuff are under attack. So how do you prevent yourself from being a victim of mail theft? Don't always drop it at one of the mailboxes that you see on the corner. Maybe bring it to the actual branch. It might save you from being a victim of someone doing a mailbox phishing or having a stolen key and being able to take some of that mail out and your check being in there. That's, um, that's some great but, advice there. Thank you, yep. Dan. Like you're talking about being victims of how to stop a victim, right? We can only protect ourselves from we have control over. We don't have control over the bad actors breaching corporations to steal our information and put it on the dark web. But we can control on how we monitor our financial situations, our credit, our activity. 
And that's the way you prevent yourself from being more of a victim, if that makes sense. Yeah, Dan, let me ask you one more thing back on the credit card scam, debit card scam. Uh, You know, important on that is, you know, these account holders who are responsible for either giving up their debit card and PIN number or allowing somebody to put a check in their account. Wouldn't you say the interview of that person is the key to the case? You know, you have like you'd have to determine are they the victim or witness, or are they the culprit? They, you know, knew what they were doing was wrong and illegal. You've interviewed some of these account holders in the past. What have you seen when you've talked to them? So I always tell my investigators that um, that are new. One of the things that you need to look for is that when some of these individuals tell you. I lost my card and my PIN number was written on the back of them. You have to take a step back because who writes their PIN on the back of their card these days? You can remember a six-digit code for your phone. You're remembering a four-digit code for your, uh, your bank ATM. Um, so you might want to think twice about when you're doing these interviews, you have to look at certain things, right? One, is the victim a real victim? Did they believe that they were just doing someone a favor and the guy was like, I don't have an account. Can you just do me a favor and deposit this over, hey, can I get your debit card and your pin and i'm going to cut you a 10 percent kickback on uh, whatever we get out of your account so it's very key to question the collusive account holder about either how they were approached what information they gave over right because that's key when you're doing these interviews about how you contacted was it over social media oh what what was that person's uh, moniker on social media or was their handle Oh, they called you on the phone. Do you still have that conversation? Do you have that phone number? Um, these, are, these are key things as, as an investigator, both on the banking side as well as the law enforcement side when interviewing these account holders. Because you're right, there, there is a slim chance that they are a victim as well. But if they're not a victim, how much are they involved? Were they the ones that were involved by going to the bank and putting the check in? Or were they just involved by supplying the means. And what I might mean by the means is that debit card and PIN number. Yeah, definitely. So Dan, I know 20 years at NYPD. Um, I got to ask you this. We're going to switch it up completely different here for a second. But what is the funniest story as a police officer that you could share with us? <laughs> <laughs> um, I threw, uh, you, threw you, you a curveball. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you out of 20 years, I could, I have so many stories. I could write plenty of books um, <laughs> between the, the good, the bad and the ugly. Right. <laughs> um, I guess the funniest part about being in law enforcement is the camaraderie of your fellow law enforcement officers and your private sector investigators that you work with on a daily basis because you build a bond. And bonds are key, right? Because you can only get the job done when everyone's working well together. And the bonds that we build between state and federal law enforcement and private sector get these cases done because of that camaraderie and because of that partnership and that working together. Um, and, and I'm the first person who says that there's no I in team and me as a single investigator, yes, I can get cases done, but I get better cases done when I work with my Fed partners, when I work with the private sector to put together such a great investigation that we could try to stop or put a slight dent into these actors committing these crimes. Hey, Dan, as a retired postal inspector and back helping out as an analyst, we appreciate the kudos you gave to the inspection service. And I hear what you're saying about the uh, collection boxes, but I know the inspection service nationwide is looking at the mail theft issues that are out there, but 
it is a federal violation. Stealing mail, it's a federal violation, and that, that's our deterrent. You know, we do arrest these individuals that are breaking into mailboxes, and and uh, we do get federal charges on them, that, and we're hoping that that continues to be a deterrent to stop them from stealing mail. Oh, it's a great thing to have that, um, the weight of the federal government behind you when with those type of crimes, because the the mail theft is is a devastating crime to a victim, right? Because sometimes those victims don't realize until 30, 45 days later that they're actually a victim. And it, it's just sad. I, I've, I've seen so many victims not realize that, you know, their checks were stolen. They missed to pay their rent. Now they're having issues with uh, their landlord because there was no check. But like I said, U.S. Postal Inspection Service, thumbs up to all the hard work that they're doing. I see it here in New York City. They're out there every single day hustling. So, Dan, I'm going to throw myself under the bus here, too. Uh, as a brand-new detective uh, around uh, first year in the detective bureau, I made my first collar with a guy with around 40, 50 credit cards, counterfeit. So a uh, fraud investigator from Chase came down and said, hey, let me show you some of the ultraviolet security features on these cards. And I pulled out this big uh, black UV light from the forensics unit. And we spent an hour looking at all these cards. Well, I didn't realize I had the machine on the whole time. It was pointed towards my face. And I got myself a welder's flash and a nice uh, suntan that lasted around <laughs> two two months. So uh so uh, I had to share that with you. I figured uh, you'd get a kick out of that one. So make sure you stand <laughs> far away from the UV light. That's all I got to tell you. <laughs> so. Hey, Dan, before we let you go, what, what do you see in the future as far as financial fraud? Do you see anything out there that you're starting to see now that's going to pick up as far as maybe gang-related to financial crimes? I do see a tilt and a shift in the momentum of fraud, right? Um and I could actually just looking at it from your actors who are involved in check fraud, right? Card cracking is probably never going away because as long as you have a bank, a check, an ATM card, it's always going to be a valuable source of fraud. But we're seeing these same actors changing up the game, right? We're seeing them now do, because there's such a wealth of, of personal identifiers out there on the dark web because of these breaches, we're seeing them take these information and they're moving to customer imposter withdrawals where they're taking a victim's identification and knowing that they have a certain bank account at a branch and having an ID made up and having a runner walk in posing as this customer to do withdrawals on their accounts. We're seeing these, uh, these cell phone SIM swaps. We're seeing our card crackers getting involved in these SIM swaps where they're taking over people's cell phones and using that to access their bank account, their cryptocurrency, and just trying to wipe these individuals out of all their funds. Um, so as long as technology, as, as much as we say it's our friend, it's helping us move on in the world, it's also a downfall because it's allowing these bad actors to get more access to us. So I, I don't see financial frauds disappearing or being stopped. Hopefully with these larger cases where we are taking out major players and sending a message hopefully deters people from doing it. But I think it'll always be an ongoing fight. Hey, Dan, you mentioned earlier regarding credit cards, uh, the players involved in that were involved in other scams like these PPP loans. And is that what you're seeing? That not only are you doing credit cards, but what other types of fraud trends are you seeing related to that? We saw a major um, uptick in uh, these same actors going after the unemployment fraud 
taking advantage of applying for unemployment fraud with the, the use of identity theft. We started seeing the stimulus checks was a big issue too, right? Because these stimulus checks were going out everywhere. People were stealing them. They were copying them. They were using them to create counterfeit checks. It's sad to say that these, these great things that were implemented to help everybody during COVID was also the same thing that was targeted by these criminals to take advantage of. Dan, you brought up a great point about uh, the fraud trends expanding, and we're seeing it in e-commerce fraud and you know online fraud. So if the actors are not showing up and impersonating somebody in person, they're on the internet committing fraud with your account information or personal identifying information. Yeah, they, they definitely are. And um, one of the things that I like to tell the consumer, to tell the people that are out there listening to this, that you have to always be careful in today's day and age because of technology. I always say refrain from clicking. What do I mean by refrain from clicking? You know, you get that text message from your bank saying possible fraud or possible charge, click here. And you go click there and now you're on a bad actor's site and you're putting in your credentials and now they're stealing your credentials. Mm. If you receive an email, if you receive that text message, and even if you're sure that it is from the bank, don't click on that link. Don't click on, on that. Go to the site. Log onto your computer. Go onto your web browser on your phone and go into the site that you normally go into or the app that you go into and put your creds in. Do not click on something and then put your creds in because you want to be able to protect yourself. Dan, awesome advice, man. And I'll tell you what, I think we could have you on every single week. Why don't we just do this a weekly show with Dan? What do you think, Mike? I like it. I like, <laughs> it. I like it. I like it. We'll call it the Mark, Mike, and Dan show or something. But uh, Dan, thank you for coming on. Thank you for what you do. God bless you. 20 years at the NYPD. Be safe out there. And like I said, I know we're going to be reaching out again to bring you back on the show because you were just a wealth of knowledge in this field. And we thank you for coming on today and sharing this important information. Mike and Mark, thank you. It's my pleasure to to be here with you and, and to talk about these things because I believe it's an important thing to get out there. I believe people's knowledge of what's going on in the financial section of these crimes is key. And it's key to protecting everybody and protecting the financial system. And Dan, looking forward to seeing you in National Harbor for our annual training conference the last week of August. So looking forward to seeing you there. We'll have to have a discussion at the bar. Same here. We'll be in the front row at the Dan Alessandrino Fan Club. <laughs> <laughs> Won't need an applause Appreciate sign it. Thank for you. that. <laughs> Are you guys going to have t-shirts? <laughs> we'll, we'll make one just for you. That's it. We'll, we'll be wearing it. <laughs> Oh, Mike, what a what another great show, man. I just love Dan. He is so awesome. Uh, I could sit and listen to that guy all day long. I mean, his knowledge and experience is just next to none. So we're so happy that our audience could tune in today and hear from Dan. You know, having Dan on our podcast today, he covered two areas, information for our members of the IFCI and information to the public about don't get caught up in this scam. Don't give up your debit card and PIN number. Don't let somebody put a check in your account that you don't know. And then he talked about what this scam was about and how the gangs are getting involved in it for our members, too, to let them know. Yeah. We should have, like, Dan on standby, like, on a red phone where if we're deciding if we should do something or not, hey, let's give Dan a call. What's he think, you know? He just has a great sense uh, for these criminal activities and for people to try and avoid being a, a victim. 
Mark, I was hoping that you were going to ask me if I had a funny story, but I guess uh, you have to save it for the next show or something. All right, you got to beat my suntan uh, story. I don't know if you're going to be able to top that. Uh, I got a good one. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I'm signing off. This is Mark Solomon from Connecticut. Thank you to our audience once again for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you at the next podcast. I'm turning things over to Mike to close us out. Okay, everybody, this is Mike Carroll from Chicago. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.